Welcome to ETF Working Lunch, an ETF.com podcast in partnership with Women in ETFs. We get together every other week with some of the smartest women in the business and we talk shop. I'm Cynthia Murphy here with my colleague, Laura Krigger. Hello, everyone. Today, we are diving into the day-to-day work of managing an ETF portfolio. Joining us is Janet Johnston, Co-Chief Investment Officer and Portfolio Manager at TrimTabs Asset Management. Welcome, Janet. Thank you, Cynthia and Laura. It's a, it's a pleasure to be here. We're very excited to have you. So let's dive right in. At TrimTabs, um, you manage directly two ETFs, the TrimTabs US All Cap free cash flow, ticker TTAC, and the international all-cap free cash flow, TTAI. Both uh, of these strategies um, are built on what your firm calls, you know, quantumental investing, quote-unquote. Tell us exactly what is quantumental as a strategy and and why do you think is a good way to go? I think quantumental is just the next evolution. It's it's the combination of using quantitative screening with seasoned and disciplined fundamental active management. We think you get the best of both worlds. And and to be honest, uh, having big data in our hands and all of this uh, compute. Uh, quantitative computing power really makes uh, my job much easier. We're, we're just able to do more with less. So in terms, you mean of like technology advancements or tools at your disposal as a, an active portfolio manager? Just in terms of tools. So our models, you know, we start by screening for both portfolios, a large universe of liquid names. And then we rank them on free cash flow and balance sheets and a little bit of share reduction. And with our sequential laying process and all of the supplemental data that we have in our databases, where we get this exceptional high quality list of names where we start vetting for inclusion in our portfolio. But all of that information and our sequential layering process, we're able to get a quick read on a company in terms of their uh, profitability, their balance sheet strength, uh, their organic growth. And that takes a lot of time. If you don't have this big engine delivering uh this output that gives you a better starting place in terms of knowing where to spend your time in terms of analysis. Hmm. What is it about um, free cash flow that is so valid as a metric in determining the quality or the viability, fundamental viability, if you will, of a company versus everything else that's out there? I mean, especially in the value space, there's a lot of discussion about in in the world of today, what are the metrics that really tell value, like the limitations of price to book? So there's this constant you know, assessment of what the metrics we use actually say about a company. So what about free cash flow is so important in your view? 
So for us, if free cash flow, it's harder to manipulate. It's more transparent. Companies that are profitable on a free cash flow um, basis tend to have organic growth, and we tend to think of it as cushions of cash. So if you have free cash flow, you have the flexibility to invest uh, in other companies, in R&D, to expand, uh, or to buy back uh, your stock. And, you know, frankly, what you see with corporate earnings reports is that management has so much discretion in terms of how they account for timing of revenues, expenses, and capital expenditures, and if you go back in time, if you go back to the early 2000s, two of the biggest accounting frauds in U.S. history were WorldCom and Enron. And both companies were highly touted on Wall Street. Both of these companies had one thing in common. While their earnings were rising, they had increasing levels of decreasing free cash flow. And that was the one clue that would have told you to stay out of those companies. So in this environment, as we're going into recovery and people are looking for more cyclical exposure to their portfolios, uh, we think that question isn't so much value versus growth as it is cyclical versus defensive. And I think investors should be really careful of value traps and um, some of these sectors that will be participating in the recovery also have rising amounts of bankruptcies. So we think what you want, if you're looking for exposure to the recovery as cyclical exposure that is high quality in companies that have strong cash flow, that are not going to have issues weathering mm -hmm. this COVID storm. I mean, this is just fascinating. I could listen to, to you talk about this, like how you um, you select all your stocks and stuff. Like Janet, my question to you is, uh, how does a boutique asset management firm like Trim Tabs with you know a clear uh, strategy? How do you find uh, your your loyal investor base, and how do you maintain uh, that loyal investor base? Right. Is it a matter of getting your ETFs onto the right platforms? Is it a matter of just like constant sales hustle? Like, how are you, um, you know, attracting investors, holding on to investors in such a, a, a competitive environment as the ETF industry is right now? It's a challenging environment for boutique firms as the industry has matured and there are several very large players in the in the ETF space. Uh, our, our firm is owned by a family office uh, and fortunately for us this is a long-term private equity investment for them for, for them. They're committed for the long term. And last year they hired Bobby Shea. He's a former Goldman uh, partner in their uh, equity division, and they hired him as our uh, CEO. And we've been really focused on institutional quality, due diligence, and using our relationships to build assets. 
we just, um, a multi-asset ETF strategist firm just invested $70 million in TTAC. And I think, you know, we're focused on, uh, the year is very different. I, I don't even know how, I think I went to five or six conferences last year. <laughs> this year, it's all about um, Zoom calls with clients, uh, due diligence, keeping them informed about our current thoughts, themes we're seeing in the markets, how we're adapting at each stage. You know, we had this Six Sigma event earlier this week. Obviously, in March, we had the COVID collapse. And so I think it's personal uh, personal conversations with with clients that we know can make a difference to us. Hmm. I wanted to ask you about, uh, you know, to to talk about the actual role of a portfolio manager, um, especially in the active space. When you think about an actively managed ETF, it seems like investor sentiment may be changing a little bit towards active. Active has had a really tough go in the ETF industry in general, as you well know. But in 2020, more than 50% of the new ETF launches have been actively managed ETFs. And now we have, you know, also the non-transparent wrappers. There's a, there's, there seems to be a new wave of active managers coming into the ETF space. So, you know, tell us a little bit about your, your journey into the space. I mean, you went from managing a timber hunting business before you came to Trim Tabs and so, you know, walk us through the process of becoming a portfolio manager, because actually there are not a lot of women portfolio managers that we know or that you hear about. So it's just kind of interesting to hear how you got from point A to point B and uh, what your experience has been. So the, the timber and, and hunting business is, uh, I took a couple of years off to take care of, to sell my father's estate and take care of some family business. But my, uh, my, uh, I've been in this industry back to since I graduated from college, and I grew up in rural Georgia. Uh, I have a degree in agricultural economics. Uh, my father was always trading futures. I have an uncle who was a municipal bond trader, and I had a professor at the University of Georgia that changed my life and. Uh, I became very interested in investing in markets. And in 1989, I answered every one ad in the New York Times, moved to New York, got my first job at Solomon Brothers during the Liars Poker hmm. era. And uh, from that job, I was introduced to a firm called Avatar Associates. One of the owners at the time and the head of our investment committee was Marty Zweig. And he's iconic, legendary investor. He coined the phrase, don't fight the Fed, don't fight the tape, which was leading edge at the time. And many of his investment principles have stood the test of time. And so fortunately, I ended up, that was a very exciting place to start my career in terms of uh, 
analyzing companies and becoming a portfolio manager. Since then, I've worked at a family office. I've worked for a hedge fund. In 2017, my former boss and mentor from that job at Avatar hired me for the third time over my career to come and work with him at Trim Tabs Asset Management. So that is how I, um, I would say over the course of my career, I think it's important. I've never burned any bridges. I've uh, had good relationships with the people that I've worked with. And I've always stayed focused on where I thought I could add the most value where I was working. Mm -hmm. Do you think... um... You know, active management, active managers. Uh, I think get a are dealt a, a tough hand in a way because they are judged, you know, primarily by performance. It's all about if you're gonna pay, you know, the fee for an active manager is because you're gonna get alpha. So, do you find uh, that there's anything missing in this conversation about what the value proposition of an active manager actually is in in an ETF, or is it just fair, you know, fair game to be judged mostly by performance? Did you outperform or not outperform your benchmark? I hope that our clients take the time to dig a little bit deeper. So, in our in our portfolios, we have a modified. Uh, equal weight portfolio construction. And uh, the last couple of years have been really difficult. I think uh, up until the Six Sigma event, the fabulous five, Microsoft, Apple, Facebook, Google, and Amazon had contributed over 30% of the S&P 500 returns. So our goal over the long term is to deliver alpha without concentration risk. While we own these five companies, we don't own them in concentrated weightings. And that's going to be a problem for investors this coming up year. Uh, While these companies have very robust business models, I think a lot of the easy money has been made and antitrust is going to be an issue. And, you know, if you look at, we've killed other equal weight portfolios up until the Six six Sigma event. We were ahead of our benchmarks. Uh, Now we're behind a little bit and we do use the major market averages as our benchmark. So I think, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, for us, we have high quality portfolios. We've been really particular in this environment to look at balance sheets. We don't want to wake up and have a big negative surprise. Mm-hmm. For our clients, in terms of uh, some industries have rising bankruptcies, and mm-hmm. so I think it's important that investors know what they're getting. Um, and with the active process, like we're able, as interest rates are drifting up, to add some interest rate exposure to our portfolios and make adjustments that a purely passive strategy doesn't have the ability to factor in regime change. 
You have more flexibility in that regard. I want to step back to something you said about um, the antitrust uh, you know, issue that's brewing right now with the the big tech companies. How do you see that uh, impacting the trim tabs, um, your portfolio lineups, maybe in comparison to other um, more market cap weighted um, you know, passive strategies. Is that um, going to be the big theme moving forward in technology and, and just the broad market ahead? I think in terms of the, of the antitrust issues, there are two ways it can play out. Mm-hmm. One is, for instance, when Microsoft was wrangling with the U.S. Justice Department, their stock didn't go anywhere for a decade. The other outcome is maybe companies are broken up and the sum of the parts are worth more than the whole. It's really hard to tell. I think that the companies within each sector that are on the edge of disruption, that have the best technology, are the companies that are going to take the lead within their industry. So we we like companies that use free cash flow for R&D. We like companies that have strong digital footprints, are, are providing the cloud or other technology for uh, this new economy that we're in. I think that many of these habits uh, are changes in how we live and work from COVID-19 are frankly here to stay. I think more people at firms are going to have Zoom on their PCs, and that is only going to grow. Mm-hmm. And so I think for us... What we look for are, we follow the data, we look for free cash flow trends, we're seeing it pick up in some cyclical areas, we've seen it in housing, we've seen it in autos, and we've leaned into those spaces. But I suspect that as long as these companies continue to have robust business models, I think that there will be a place for them in our portfolios. But I do believe that that the easy money has been has been made, and that they're probably not going to be the price probably isn't going to be increasing at quite the rates it was the last couple of years. Makes sense, Jenna. One one other question, um, maybe can be you know as we wrap up here. Um, what is the favorite, your favorite part of your job as a portfolio manager? And you know how in showbiz, it's common to see the parents saying, I don't want my kids to follow my footsteps. I don't want them to get into showbiz too. <laughs> um, would you say the same about ETF portfolio management or do you want everyone to follow in your footsteps? What's, what's the best part of the job? I personally, I love what I do. For me, it's always about the investing, finding the right companies, finding the right mix for a portfolio. I'm very interested in giving back. I'm mentoring a young college graduate who has done an excellent job. She gets to wear a lot of hats. She's exposed to different areas in in terms of investments and marketing. And But for me, it's all about 
the investments and the portfolio management. Well, I think we're going to have to leave it there. Thank you so much uh, for your time, uh, Janet. It was a really great uh, conversation today, and we're, we're so happy you came on with us. Thank you, Cynthia and Laura. I appreciate it. Thank you. So for more info on uh, quantum mental investing or any ETF topic, really, or to catch up on past episodes, please visit us at ETF.com. And for more information on how to get involved in women in ETFs, please visit womeninetfs.com. You can write to us with your questions, your comments, your thoughts at ETF Working Lunch. That's all one word at ETF.com. On behalf of myself, Cynthia Murphy, and the rest of the ETF.com team, thank you so much for listening, and we will see you next episode. Mm-hmm.